What is to happen to the quality of our food post-Brexit? When the EU standards no longer apply, whose rules will apply? How will we ensure that the excellent quality of our food produced here in the UK is matched in the food produced and imported from elsewhere? We have a very high regulatory standard in this country. It's one we're proud of. Um, that is not the same elsewhere. With trade deals being discussed this year... It is totally inequitous for us to actually do trade deals with other countries around the, U- around the world, which will basically... Um, let in imports of food that may well have been produced to lower standards than our own. We'll talk about standards, what is being done to protect them and what can we do to support those efforts. We'll get an update on the current sugar campaign and our regular Sean Sparling and Kit from Openfield will be here with their reports. And we've seen a lot of tractors in school playgrounds this week. What's that all about? The Week in Agriculture. This is the Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. First, some headlines from the week. There's been much speculation that the tax break on red diesel could be abolished, resulting in yet another cost increase that can't be passed on. It is, of course, speculation. We don't know what may be in Rishi Sunak's first budget later this month, but the NFU is urging the government to keep the lower rate to allow farm businesses to remain competitive. Staying with fuel, the government's set to introduce E10 fuel containing 10% ethanol in 2021, following years of farming industry lobbying. Rural groups are seeking amendments to laws to give the police greater powers to counter hair coursing. They're asking for police to be allowed to seize dogs and vehicles and a removal of the limit of the maximum fine of £1,000. And plans have been announced to begin an exit strategy from badger culling and instead favour vaccinations to combat bovine TB. Now this week we've seen lots of tractors going into lots of schools and lots of even more excited children. But why? I went to Waddington Redwood Primary Academy and witnessed some of those very excited children, excited not just at climbing all over the tractors. Mrs Fiona Kent is the head teacher. Apart from the obvious, what is Tractors Into Schools Week all about? It's a campaign that um, Andrew Ward um, approached us to talk to us about and it's about bringing schools and the farming community closer together so that the children can learn more about where their food comes from. Do you find that the children actually understand before an event like this actually understand what happens in the fields i think it's i think it's difficult i think because children are um they tend to go to supermarkets with the parents and a lot of children think that the the food comes off the supermarket shelves so i think this is a really good um opportunity for them to actually talk to a farmer to actually see the farming equipment and to actually see what the cereals are like um and how that they how they're manufactured into food as well and make those links which is really important especially in, for lincolnshire Um, children in Lincolnshire because it's a rural community and farming is really important. We do have two very large tractors in the car park but as Mrs Kent said it's more about the children getting an appreciation of where their food comes from and what's in it. Andrew Ward, one of the prime movers behind the scheme, you brought some crops in as well as the machinery. What have you got? I've got barley, oats, wheat, oilseed rape and beans and the idea is I've let the children feel the crop and see what it, they feel it's like and then try and guess what is in the five trays 
and some of them have got it right, some of them haven't, but it's all very, very interesting and intriguing for them because I've brought lots of food such as Weetabix and, and um, uh, crumpets and porridge and biscuits and all things that you'd normally find in a, in a kitchen cupboard at home and trying to ask the children, where did those come from? And of these five trays, which one of those five trays is in the, the produce I've brought? And I've, I've given them a loaf of bread and a slice of bread each. And I said, right, where do you think, which tray should that slice of bread belong to? And, and it's quite interesting because when you start looking at ingredients on a packet, there's a massive amount of ingredients and a, and a loaf of bread every white slice of bread will also have rape oil in it apart from uh, wheat flour and we've got wholemeal and we've got seeded loaves that have lots of crops in it they'll have wheat barley oats and everything so the children really are very engaged with this and now the idea is that they can go home and that they can see when their parents are cooking food and when they're accompanying their parents on a supermarket tour buying food they can see what they're what they're buying and hopefully have an influence and help the parents buy it because that this is the big thing we've got is starting at, at the bottom and educating children as to when they drive past a field and see something growing what is in that field and how does that food get from that field to the supermarket to the plate The children were really engaged, clearly, genuinely finding the whole thing interesting. And I have to say, so well behaved that I promised them I'd do this. We are from Redwood Primary Academy. You're listening to the Farming Programme. That was Beatrice and her friends from Waddington Redwood Primary Academy. Time for agronomy now, and as usual, we welcome Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Morning, Sean. A very good morning to you too, Steve. And what a week it's been. Another seven days go hurtling past with a whooshing noise. I think it's a massively important initiative, getting farmers and tractors into schools to talk to children about where their food comes from. There is such a gulf of ignorance between those involved in farming and those not remotely involved in farming. There are so many fat bellies and slake thirst it's so easy for people to walk into a shop buy some food buy something to drink come out eat it drink it never even give a thought to where that food came from and with the world situation such as it is you look at coronavirus you look at us leaving the eu you look at climate change the less we have to rely on other people to bring us our food and our drink the better we're 60 percent self-sufficient at the moment we should be 85 90 percent to give ourselves that cushion so that if things go wrong around the world if the movement of goods and the movement of food is compromised and complicated by things like coronavirus we should be able to withstand that storm and that's why I think farming is so important and for those children who experienced Andrew Ward don't worry not all farmers look like that some of them are quite good looking only joking Wardy or am I? But it's so important that people take their time and hats off to anybody that takes the time to go and talk to children because the children will then talk to their parents and start to educate going forward. And it it really worries me when I see headlines. There was this alleged leaked document from Tim Lunig, who is a big pal and advisor to Dominic Rasputin Cummins, the puppet master of Whitehall at the moment and Westminster. Tim Lunig, the reason I say I'm quite sceptical about that being a leaked document, I think that was a very carefully planned, choreographed document 
release to the press just to dip the toe in the water and see what the public think about this for an idea. Absolutely cracking. And on that basis, in a couple of weeks' time, I've now been invited down to the House of Lords to sit in front of a select committee on the Green Deal, which is coming out of the EU, where I'm going to fight the corner of food production and farming in the UK. How ridiculous is it that I've got to go and try and convince people that food production is important in UK agriculture? Unbelievable. But I'll let you know how I get on. So let's move on to agronomy then. As I said, that bit of sunshine is starting to fluoresce the chlorophyll out here in the field. We've got some nitrogen on the wheats, on the barleys, on the oilseed rape. Things are starting to move. Any nitrogen that went on a couple of weeks ago is already into these plants and you can see that. Remember that sulfate is a vital element for oilseed rape in particular, but this year it will be vital for cereal crops and other crops as well because it's it will leach just like nitrate will. It'll have washed through the profile with all of the rain we've had over the last five, six months or so. So you will need to compensate for that. You'll need to give the crops sulfate. Every plant will produce an enzyme called malate, which mimics the effects of sulfate. So they can correct a deficiency to a certain extent but as I've said before they won't be able to produce enough malate to overcome the deficiency they will see so get that sulfate on preferably in with the first dose of nitrogen on cereals and oilseed rape now as far as oilseed rape goes it needs the sulfate at most through stem extension now some of these crops are starting to move already an extended stem is when the distance between the node is greater than the distance around the circumference of the stem and some of these fields are already moving into stem extension extension there are those fields that haven't moved at all they may be the ones you need to cut open and make sure they're not full of cabbage stem flea beetle we're still writing off areas of oilseed rape by the day but it takes about four weeks to get sulfate into a rape plant so now is the time to get it in because the bulk of that stem extension will probably happen at the end of this month so it needs to be in there ready light leaf spot levels slightly up on last week remember if you've got a backward crop of rape don't go putting a fungicide that's got a growth regulatory effect on it don't put tebuconazole or metconazole on a backward crop you'd be better with prothioconazole in those situations because it's not, it has absolutely no growth regulatory effect whatsoever but speak to your advisor and possibly take the opportunity to put a bit of manganese or magnesium in with that as well because those deficiencies are also showing as a result of the wet feet and the nitrogen and the sulfur deficiencies winter cereals yellow rust i can still find out there even more than i did last week septoria is out there but once again i'm not putting uh, fungicides on wheats at the moment because it's just too early too cold even though soil temperatures are rising too cold really in the main out there and if you're going to put things like Atlantis or Pacifica or Monolith on these wheat crops to control blackgrass and bromes and ryegrass and meadowgrasses out around the outsides or in patches, remember they're not residual. You have to hit the target. So if it's not there, hold your fire and don't spray. So I think a lot to be positive about. The forecast is a lot more happy than it was this time last week. So Steve, let's see what the next seven days bring. Thank you as ever, Sean. Now let's get an update on the current sugar beet campaign from Simon Leeds at British Sugar. Morning, Simon. Hello, Steve. How are you? Very well, thank you, Simon. Nice to talk to you at last. Yeah, welcome to the farming programme anyway. Absolutely. Looking for well, let's say looking forward to enjoying it. That's better. Good, good. Um, yeah, so it is a while since I've, um, I've been on this slot. So first of all, I want to, again... Uh, thank all of those out there for you know tremendous ongoing efforts to keep Newark factory supplied with sugar beet. Um, I make no apologies for the fact that, for the fact that on this slot today, I'm only going to focus on the, the continued challenge posed by the weather, as we work with all our stakeholders to bring a very challenging campaign to as successful a conclusion as we possibly can. 
uh, it has been a quite extraordinary period, and I'm, I'm quite geeky when it comes to the weather. A home near Stamford since the 24th of September, I've now recorded 567 millimetres, which is roughly 22.3 inches. Also very interesting to look at some of the data on the Met Office website. Our region last autumn was the wettest recorded, uh, wettest in the air, in the sort of the country, recording over 170% of the recent average. It's not only the sheer amount of rain that's been the problem, there's just been no let up with any, you know, windows of dry weather at all, so it's been, it has made it really challenging. And this, of course, has impacted on all of your activities on farm, and sugar beet has been no exception. It could be a very frantic spring, I think, and the repercussions of this winter will be felt for some time to come. So, uh, you know, good luck to all of you with that. So to update you in terms of uh, the campaign and the factory, over the last 10 days, we have actually slowed the factory significantly, and we're currently running to about 50% capacity. Earlier this week, we actually got very close to having to take the difficult decision to pause slicing for a few days. Um, this would have allowed us time for uh, roadside stocks to build, uh, you know, with harvesters starting to make a little bit of progress. But, you know, luckily and, um, you know, through a combination of slightly improved weather over the last few days and your continued persistence, it does look like we're able to continue slicing, albeit at this reduced slice rate, and hopefully I'll get through the weekend. So for this, again, enormous thanks. Um, but I do ask, please, that you continue to take every opportunity to lift and deliver, um, because when the beat ends up in too few hands, um, it really does be quite a challenge. So, you know, do please take every opportunity to get everything you can to us. Please note, um, in terms of uh, the rest of the campaign, our plans uh, remain unchanged from previous correspondence we've put out, and ongoing estimates for the crop support an early April finish date. But I would just, you know, make the point it's important that we're all clear that this is an indicative date and is subject to all of that sugar beet that's out there still being lifted and delivered. We're well aware of the ongoing challenging lifting conditions, and, you know, I think we're all acutely aware that further wet weather could lead to significant issues as we, as we go forward. So I really do hope that we see some more settled conditions as we progress through March. And again, thank you for your continued support. As we've already advised and continue to advise, do please keep in close contact with your uh, British Sugar contract manager with regard to any questions regarding your harvesting, the overall beet supply and delivery situation. And of course, you know, we will endeavour to help you in the best way we possibly can. So finally, thank you again and um, we'll speak soon. And we'll have another update from British Sugar next month. Thank you, Simon. Still to come on the farming programme, our weekly grain news and prices from Open Field. We'll ask, if you have surplus silage, how can you donate it to be a benefit elsewhere? And we'll maintain excellent standards and effective communication. The Week in Agriculture. This is the farming programme with Steve Orchard. Standards, standards, standards. There's a real concern amongst the farming community that come the end of the year, when the EU rules no longer apply, what standards will apply to food produced outside the UK? And will trade deals being done in the aftermath of Brexit insist on the same high standards applying in the UK? The fear is that they won't. We're with the NFU's Simon Fisher and Stuart Roberts. And before we talk standards, Stuart, firstly, I talked earlier in the programme about the excellent Tractors Into Schools scheme and the need for a more positive message to get out there. 
What's the message? Is it positive? Have we got a, have we got a tale to tell? Uh, absolutely. I uh, Genuinely, I believe we've got the best story of any part of the economy to tell. So what do we actually do? We produce food to some of the highest stands in the world. We've, we, we deliver some of the most and create and maintain some of the most iconic landscapes in the world. The environment, the water story, the fact that, you know, we are absolutely critical components uh, in how we move water, store water, uh, uh, going forward. So absolutely, I think we are a very positive industry. We've got a positive story to tell. And look, this challenges. Uh, certainly at the moment, some of the politics around future trade deals, what that may do in terms of uh, our standards, protecting our standards. Uh, certainly right at this moment, big discussions about future consumer trends and protein in particular. But look, we produce some of the best food in the world to some of the best standards. Um, and we've just got to be the advocates for telling that story. So what are the problems with standards from imports from abroad? Well, look, the real issue here is about... um we have a very high regulatory standard in this country. It's one we're proud of. Um, that is not the same elsewhere. And it's very simple. We do not believe we should be bringing in product into this country that it would be illegal for me as a British farmer to produce here. Simon Fisher, what's your concern around the trade deals that are being negotiated probably as we speak? So our food standards are some of, some of the highest in the world. Uh, and it is totally inequitous for us to actually do trade deals with other countries around the, U- around the world, which will basically um, let in imports of food that may well have been produced to lower standards than our own, or than is expected of us, um, and actually undercutting British farmers with uh, what I call inferior imports like this, um, produced to illegal standards, is, is, is morally wrong. Um, uh, and it's like tying our hands behind the back while saying, yeah, to the Americans, yeah, bring it on in, come on, let's have it. Um, uh, and it might be all right for the consumer at the end of the day, but actually um, it does our farming industry no good at all. Would the net result of this not benefit consumers in terms of lower prices? Um, it might well be that they, they are brought in as cheaper, and that might be the promise of the government. I mean, governments always take a due care and attention of the price of food. Um, uh, uh, most government ministers um, will think back to the reason why the French had a revolution 200 odd years ago and that was because of the price of food and people were starving um, so food actually does have some bearing on, on national governments and the policies they make so it's actually quite important though that if we've got high standards then we maintain those and we don't just undercut our guys in the meantime um, because uh, you know, at the end of the day um, we'll, we'll happily compete on a world stage but not we've got our hands tied behind our back. Stuart, the NFU's organising a rally in London later this month. Why? The, the main purpose of the rally is to go down to Westminster and positively talk about our high standards. This is not a, a, a militant demonstration. This is very much about giving a platform to farmers, but to others. So talking to consumer organisations, so people from which, for example, environmental organisations. The other day, we had 60 non-government organisations in the environment sector sign a letter alongside the NFU about 
making sure government protects our standards. Um, so therefore, it's about bringing together that range of stakeholders, and I'm sure we'll see plenty of Lincolnshire farmers down there as well. I'm sure you will. And is it just farmers or allied trades, Look, public? We are really keen to, to mobilise as many people from our supply chains, from our supporters, uh, as is possible. So the, the region up here will have much more details about how to get there, where to get there, what time to get there. Uh, but look, we just want to see people in London articulating that message both to the public but also to MPs. So we're really keen that we use that day to get in and sit down with individual MPs, with their constituents, so that they get that message about the importance of maintaining our standards. That rally takes place on March 25th at Queen Elizabeth II Centre in Westminster. For more details, contact your local NFU rep. Thank you, Simon and Stuart. At last week's Tractors Into Schools visit, I spoke to Andrew Ward, and not just about the school programme, but also the charity Forage Aid. Andrew, first of all, for those who don't know about it, explain what Forage Aid is. Forage Aid is a, is a charity I started in 2013 when we uh, had a lot of snow in Wales and Cumbria and there was around 80,000 sheep uh, were, were buried alive under the deep snow in late March. And I generated um, or donated my own uh, silage and haylage that I'd got left over from selling to horse people locally. And that year... Um, it, it went. It took off because of social media, because of uh, Links FM's help, and the media generally really were very, very good. Farmers Weekly, uh, the One Show helped promote it. I did a feature with them, and gradually um, it, it became very well known. And what we're doing now is we 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 are looking at at. Um, all we do really is is helping farmers who've suffered as an extreme after an extreme weather event and it's this is the problem we've now got is that livestock farming is very very tough even in a good time it's tough and so what we're doing is we we are helping farmers and we're there if they suffered after an extreme weather event so after cumbria and wales when in 2013 we helped uh, in the somerset floods um, we then helped uh, in 2016 at Storm Desmond in, in Cumbria. And then latterly, obviously, the last year we've been helping since July uh, in Richmond when they had the floods up in the Yorkshire Dales. And also um, we've been helping recently after the floods in November. We've been helping in Matlock uh, and Doncaster as well. Um, and so we are really there to help the, the, the um, livestock farmers who really do have a tough time at the best of times. And is there anything that other farmers who are perhaps not involved in this directly can do to help? We are always looking for donations. We are looking at the moment for some more donations of silage at the moment. But um, we, we are really just at the moment, we've delivered a, a lot of loads up to now. We've delivered probably 35 loads up to now in these areas. And that's all free. So the farmers donate it completely free. So it's farmers who are not affected by the weather and mainly arable farmers will donate it to us and then we'll we're sort of a matchmaking service if you like and if a farmer has got something they can donate how would they get in touch with you if they go on our website go on forage aid website and we have a dedicated area in there where we can log all donations um and it'll ask ask questions such as can they load with a fork if can they get lorries in the yard and all those sorts of things that we need to know but go on the website and um and then donate donate through there uh, but we are working very closely now um, with other charities. We've just been accepted into Farming Help, 
which is the umbrella organisation that sits above uh, RABI, FCN and um, Prince's Countryside Fund and Addington. So we're now in partly with those. So it's great to be amongst the big boys, if you like. And, and uh, we're now part of that organisation, which is great. It just shows where we've come from and where we're sort of heading to. So with lots of ambition, um, we work very closely with the charities uh, and helping support um, not just forage. We're also sort of supporting, starting support now and wellbeing and the, the usual sort of things that we're having problems with. Excellent. Thank you, Andrew. The website address? The website is forageaid.co.uk. Now to our weekly look at the markets with Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Morning, Kit. Good morning, Steve. In the news this week was an update that we could be changing petrol in the UK with to 5% more ethanol, and this could happen early next year. The logic would say that the boost in Ensis would mothball Vivergo, which have been campaigning for this for a while. Does this mean that we need more wheat? Potentially, yes. Remember that currently Ensis are using 80% imported maize and Vivergo are closed. Vivergo can't use maize, although they could use imported wheat, although if you look at the website, it has British flags all over it, and it would be a little difficult. We could, of course, import ethanol that we need, so it's not a done deal, but I can't see that the below should be a negative effect on the UK farmer. Wet weather is being reported in France, just 30% of the spring barley has been drilled so far. I would say, though, that I'm a little surprised that this is actually news, but maybe nobody is keeping an eye on the weather forecasts. Strategy grain numbers for the UK have been widely optimistic for several months and is now dawning on a few of the French numbers that it may be too high. The long-term direction is still all about maize. So moving on to all-seed rape this week, we have seen a volatile week with weaker sterling and Matif at the start of the week and now this has reversed to a strengthening pound and euro. The market has widened and as a result the buyers and sellers are further apart, meaning that we have a limited volume to trade. The long and the short is sellers are waiting for better values before pricing ex-farm grains. There has been limited news on barley this week. The market is still trading in the mid-120s for the rest of the marketing year. There have been murmurs of concern of growers who are planning to drill barley on heavy land that it may not dry out in time to get the crop in. There is little excitement in drilling spring barley in the middle to the end of April. Most maltsters have cover for barley through to the end of the season, which has meant that price movement has been in short supply. The feed bean market is still well supported by port shorts and we are struggling to procure tons ex-farm as the grower holds on to their potential spring seed. There is still limited interest in the top quality human consumption beans, especially as the feed-based price has been quickly rising. The Egyptians are still buying imported beans but with some reluctance due to the volatility in price. There is still a possibility that after the spring drilling period there could come a glut of beans to the market if they haven't been drilled. Prices this week, feed wheat for March 147 to 149, May 148 to 150 and November new crop 158 to 160 and old crop milling premiums are currently £25. Oil seed rape currently for March sits at 319 to 321, May 322 to 324 and November 312 to 314. Feed barley for March is 121 to 123 May 124 to 126, November 127 to 129. Malting premiums are circa £10 for old crop. Beans, March 233 to 235, May 235 to 237, November new crop 180 to 185. 
Human consumption premiums are £10 for winters and £20 for springs. Kit Dickinson from Openfield. Okay, to the week's weather. Sunny spells and showers. It's looking a bit blustery today. Quite mild, though, with temperatures into double figures, albeit just. The usual prevailing winds from the southwest today. Still breezy, but mostly frost-free overnight tonight. Clouding over with another low pressure on the way, bringing an unsettled start to the week. More rain is expected, particularly Monday afternoon, staying reasonably mild though with winds from the southwest and staying that way for the rest of the week. Speeds hovering around the upper teens but gusting quite strongly from late Monday at its worst on Tuesday but staying breezy all week. A mostly dry second half to the week, mild Monday, Tuesday but certainly colder from Wednesday with temperatures no higher than 6 or 7 for the rest of the week. And that's your farming programme from this week. It's soon I'm going to be taking a look at diversification on farms and at succession planning. So if you've got anything to contribute to those topics, do please get in touch. There's contact details on the website. And in the meantime, a reminder that you can catch up with the farming programme and listen again on the website or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Steve Orchard. Have a great farming week.